Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Pursuing God in prayer. Actually, this will be the last message in this series. And uh, we've been endeavoring to help all of us to understand a little bit more about the nature of prayer and that this is God's means uh, whereby we can bring heaven uh, down to earth. So will you please take your text and open it to Matthew chapter 26 and we want to read beginning at verse 36 and we will read through verse 40. Will you please stand in honor of the word of God. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Father in heaven, as we read these words of scripture, we realize that we are standing on holy ground. We understand that At this moment, as you are just about ready to become the sin bearer, that you wrestle with your Father in agonizing prayer. And Lord, there are times in our lives when we too must agonize in prayer. We all face battles many times are much greater than we are. And as Christ wrestled in the garden, so many times we wrestle. Help us to understand the magnitude of what Christ went through for us. Teach us. Teach us the lesson from Gethsemane. We'll praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Over the last several weeks, we have been talking about the power of prayer, that prayer is making a connection with the living God. We've been also speaking to you about the fact that there is great profit in prayer, that prayer is that spiritual discipline that that energizes us, that equips us, uh, not only to do battle with the enemy, but to overcome the enemy through the strength of a resurrected Lord. But praying is not only powerful, not only is it profitable, but it is painful. 
The pain of prayer is something that many of us are not acquainted with, nor have we thought a lot about it. Uh, We sometimes pray, and it's kind of a flippant prayer to God, but many of us don't understand that there are moments in our lives where we need to agonize in prayer. Leonard Ravenhall has written an interesting book entitled, Why Revival Tarries. He makes this observation, quote, the church has many organizers, but few agonizers. Many who pay, but few who pray. Many resters, but few wrestlers. Many who are enterprising, but few who are interceding. Tithes may build a church, but tears will give it life. That's the difference between the modern church and the early church. Our emphasis is on paying. Theirs was on praying. When we have paid, the place is taken. When they prayed, the place was shaken, unquote. The pain of prayer is no more keenly seen that in the life of Christ, after having instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples in the upper room, he invites three of them to come with him to Gethsemane to pray and to garner that inner strength to actually drink that bitter cup of suffering that was so necessary for him to drink in order to provide salvation for you and for me. And so we read here in Matthew 26 and verse 2, verse 1, Jesus finished all these sayings. He said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. If you follow the life of Christ in the last days of his ministry, he is very conscious of the fact that every act that he does is in direct fulfillment to the Father's plan. As you study the life of Christ over and over again, he repeats his desire to fulfill and to complete that which the Father had laid out for him to accomplish. And we see this as his mindset uh, here as he takes uh, three of his disciples with him into the Garden of Gethsemane. By now, the other eight have scattered. They cannot be found anywhere. And Jesus, as he begins to contemplate the contents of this cup of suffering about which he is to partake, he knows that the only way he will garner the strength to drink the bitter contents of that cup is to spend time alone with his father in prayer. And so after they've celebrated the Passover and he's instituted the Lord's Supper, he moves on to Gethsemane. Verse 36, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, 
sit here while I go over there and pray. Remember, as we have just said, he attaches new significance to the Passover feast, indicating to his disciples that he himself is the lamb who will be slain. He is the offerer and the offering of that once and for all sacrifice. And he lets it be known that in verse 26 and following that they will never ever be able to partake of the Passover again without understanding the true significance of it. Verse 26, now they were eating as they were eating. Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so as we look back at the context, uh, Calvary is heavy on the mind of Jesus. And following the meal, he converses at length with his disciples as he walks with them through the Mount of Olives. Again in verse 31, notice he says, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He also relates to a disbelieving Peter that everyone is going to forsake him. And when Peter objects and says, that's not going to happen to me, Jesus reminds him there in verses 32, 33, and 34 that before the night is over, Peter, you will have disowned me three times. This is a very heavy conversation that the Lord is having with his disciples. And now it is just the three of them. Peter, James, and John, who are alone together. They enter the gates of the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives for one purpose, and that is to pray. That somehow the Father will give the Son in his humanness the strength to bear what he is about to bear, the sins of the whole world. This has been his pattern throughout his life. If you study the life of Christ, you will notice that every time there is a turning point moment in his life, he usually will spend time alone with his father. Uh, this was his practice throughout his 33-some years of earthly existence. For example, at his baptism, before his baptism, he spends time in prayer, Luke chapter 3. When he gets ready to choose the 12 in Luke chapter 6, he spends time alone with his father. When the multitudes desire to make him king, in Matthew 14, he spends time with his father. On the Mount of Transfiguration, again, he spends time alone with his father in Luke 5. Over and over again, at each milestone in his life, as he has taken on human flesh, he spends time alone with his Father in prayer. And the prayer life of Christ, I believe, reaches an agonizing climax here in Gethsemane. And as we read these words in this particular paragraph, 
we are stunned with the reality that we are seeing literally this incredible supernatural battle between Christ and the forces of hell that did everything they possibly could do to keep Christ from going to the cross. First of all, I want you to notice the reality of agonizing prayer. You see this in verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Put a circle around those two words. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. That particular verb, troubled, speaks of the fact that the weight of Calvary was so heavy on the Lord's mind at this time that he could hardly bear it. It's as if he has already been crucified, though that has not taken place. He takes these disciples with him and his soul becomes sorrowful and troubled. It's as though in his humanness he is overwhelmed at the prospect of having to go to the cross. And the reality of having to bear the sins of mankind comes crushing down upon his consciousness as he and he alone is wrestling with the Father's will. The parallel account in Mark chapter 14 reads that he began to be deeply distressed and very depressed or troubled. This particular word in the original speaks of a person being extremely distraught, almost driven to the point of insanity. He tells us here in verse 38 that his soul was sorrowful, overwhelmed to the point of death. In other words, the contents of this cup that he is about to partake of as he thinks about what is involved in that cup, he is just almost mortified by what it is going to cost him to provide this incredible salvation that the world so desperately needs. The words overwhelmed with sorrow are translated deeply grieved in both Matthew and Mark's gospel. The Lord is in such a state of mind that he feels completely encircled, engulfed by grief and sorrow. Spurgeon puts it this way, he is plunged head and ears in sorrow and has no breathing hole. He is just encompassed with the reality, what is about to take place. This agonizing prayer, we even get a more intense picture of it when we look at Luke's gospel and it says that he being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. That word anguish can also be translated agony. He in agony, and it refers to the battle, that a titanic battle that Christ is involved in with the enemy who is doing everything he can to keep Christ from going to the cross. That word agony is the very same word that is translated fight over in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12 where he encourages believers to fight the good fight of faith, fight the good agony of faith. 
2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good agony. The secular uh, Greek literature translates the phrase as an inner struggle, a bitter emotional battle. And Christ goes into Gethsemane to agonize in prayer, understanding what it is about to cost him to provide salvation for us. I, I can't even begin to wrap my arms around this. We are so flippant in our understanding of salvation. But at this moment, there is a titanic battle, an inner battle that is raging within the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke says, as he struggles and agonizes in prayer, that he sweats, as it were, great drops of blood. He's actually, at this moment, almost experiencing the, the very act of crucifixion, the most horrible death that was known to man at that time. And he is so emotionally drained that his body is wet with sweat. It's as if he is already bleeding and dying for us. And as the reality of suffering as our sin substitute becomes more vivid in his mind, he agonizes in prayer. And he says, oh, my father, oh, my father, if it, if it is possible, let, let this cup, let this cup of suffering pass by. He's overwhelmed with what he is about to partake of. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 9 give us some more insight during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, once he completed the Father's will, notice, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. My friends, as Jesus agonizes in prayer, he is so torn as he wrestles inside. And yet, as we see in the second place, he relinquishes his will to God's will. And you see this very clearly. Verse 39, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, the question that naturally arises is what in the world was in that cup that made it such a bitter cup that Christ is repulsed? He, he does not, in his humanness, even want to, to take a sip from that bitter cup. What is in that cup that made it so revolting where he prays, oh my father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass for me. 
As you study the Gospels, we discover that the cup is not the desertion of his followers. That's not what was in that cup that caused such pain and agony to Christ. The cup is not the hatred of the murderous mob that said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Oh, no. The cup is not the sarcasm and scorn of the religious leaders and establishment. The cup is not his betrayal by a close friend or his denial by another colleague. His cup isn't the knowledge of the fact that death is staring him in the face. The thing that repulses him is not the fact that he's about to die. He is repulsed by what is in that cup. And what is in that bitter cup of suffering? It is your sin and my sin. That is what made this bitter cup something that Jesus was not. He was wrestling with it. But he knew that that was the only way. There was no plan B. He had to drink that better cup. That was God's only plan in providing salvation for lost humanity. And now we can begin to understand why he agonized for such a long time in Gethsemane. For him to drink that cup, the one who was absolutely holy and spotless and pure had to become unholy and impure. The one who never told a lie, who never cheated, became a liar and a thief. The one who never committed adultery becomes an adulterer. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Isaiah 53.6 puts it this way. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews puts it this way. He had to taste death for every man. That's what caused such agony in the heart of Jesus. He looks in that cup and he sees human sin and it so repulses him and he says, oh, if there's any other way, oh, Father, let this cup pass from me. And, and then he saw you and me. And in his great love for us, he drinks the cup. He does for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And he makes it possible for human beings all around the world, whoever have lived or who are yet to be born, to come into a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. Don't let it get by you too quickly this morning. The Son of God, to satisfy the holy demands of a righteous God, had to become sin for us. Never forget this. 
Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. It costs the Lord of glory everything. The one who had at his disposal 10,000 angels, he could have called them all down to destroy those that wanted to do away with him. But he looked and he saw how much we desperately needed a savior. And he said, okay, God, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna drink that cup because I love humanity so much. Never underestimate the love of God. We are here because God loves us and because Jesus went through incredible, excruciating agony to purchase our salvation so that we can be set free and experience life forever with him. And then lastly, I want you to notice the resoluteness because of agonizing prayer. Jesus has struggled. He's agonized. He's prayed, oh, if there's a plan B, so be it. But nevertheless, Lord, not as I will, but as you will. And it leads to a new resolve. Notice in verse 46, he says to his sleeping disciples, remember they've been sleeping this whole time. That's a problem with the church today. We sleep while Jesus is praying. He says to the sleepers, he says, rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. He is ready to face head on, which at one moment he was debating whether or not he wanted to take that cup. But now there's new resolve. He has settled it through agonizing prayer. He has gotten to that point where he said, okay, God, I don't care what it is, even though this is painful and I wish it would pass and go away. Nevertheless, this is your plan. I accept your plan. And when he gets ready to leave Gethsemane, he says, let's get on with it. Let's get to the cross. It's almost like what Todd Beamer said in that doomed United flight over Pennsylvania. They had prayed, they came to a conclusion, they've got to do something, and what did he say? He said, let's roll. That's what Jesus is saying right now, let's go. I'm ready to face my betrayer head on. He has a new resolve to do what the Father asks him to do because he has communed with his Father. And friends, when we agonize in prayer, we too will have a new resolve to face what we thought we could never ever face. There have been times in my life where I thought God was asking too much of me. There have been times when I had no place else to go but to fall on my face before God in agonizing prayer. I could tell you experience after experience that Sandy and I have gone through. You can't be a pastor for as many years as we have without experiencing moments when we are agonizing in prayer and 
the only way is to obey God. You have to shut out all the clatter. You got to shut out all the noise. And it's just you and God agonizing in prayer. But what happens is that there's a peace and a resolve that comes because as we agonize in prayer before God, he gives us the strength to persevere and do what we thought we could never do. Have you been to Gethsemane recently? Has there been a moment in your life where you have wrestled with your will and God's will? In Gethsemane, we wrestle alone. In Gethsemane, we give up our dreams and our ambitions and we say, Lord, I surrender to you. It's no longer my way, it's your way. And it's in Gethsemane that we experience new resolve to do what we know God is calling us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, haven't even begun to grasp the full measure of this incredible passage. But Lord, help us to become agonizers in prayer. To trust you for things that sometimes seem to be at first sight very repulsive. And yet, as we surrender to you, you give us the resolve to do what we could not do in our own strength. And we praise you for that. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you that Jesus drained that bitter cup of suffering for me so that I could be set free from my sins. And I thank you for the wonderful salvation that has been provided because Jesus resolved to do your will no matter what. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor John.
and uh, Sweet Sandy, would you come up so that we can give you a thanks for uh, joining us for this last almost two years. Pastor, it's uh, been a privilege, and I wish that uh, Tim Haynes uh, could be here. Mm -hmm. He's ill this morning, mm -hmm. but uh, you served alongside three chairmen and, mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, the rest of the elder board mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, for almost the last two years. Yeah. And I remember the fall of uh, 2019 yeah. when yeah. we had our first conversation, yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, we uh, began to talk about what it might look like, and, and your gifting and experience were unique mm. in, in being able to assist our church. Not Many of you may know that uh, Pastor John uh, has been familiar with Liberty for many, many years uh, as the, the uh, district superintendent mm -hmm. for our uh, denomination. And uh, so unique in, in that way, but also in many ways. And um, mm. we're thankful uh, for that. Uh, mm. We gave you one charge, mm -hmm. and that charge was to prepare us for our next lead mm -hmm. pastor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say uh, that you have done that. And uh, we're, we're thankful and excited mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. Tim Spanberg, yeah. um, but uh, also for the work that you have yeah. done. And I was talking with one of our pastors recently about uh, the changes that have happened in the last couple of years and, and that. And, and one thing that uh, he said to me was one of the, the neatest things that he has experienced is the sense of team that has been developed mm. among the pastors mm. and uh, the senior leaders at our church. And that's mm. a result uh, of mm. what you have done you, uh, in leading us in thank that. You, and so thank uh, we thank you uh, for that. Thank you. Uh, for thank doing you that. so much. Thanks, John. And I'm Nick Fiore, and you know, I'm the current chairman, and mm -hmm. Tim Haynes also served as a chairman under Pastor John mm -hmm. and, and wanted to be here this morning, but like John said, is not feeling well this morning. And um, Pastor John instituted a tradition at Liberty and with our staff meetings, a time of affirmation. So whenever our staff get together each week, John has led them through this period where they affirm each other and celebrate their ministries, their lives, their families, all the things that have been going on. And it's been transformational for that. And John has done that with his chairman as well. John has committed, and this was what Tim would be sharing with you, John is committed to meeting with each one of us every Wednesday for lunch for his two years here. Um, so first with John, then with Tim, and then most recently with me. And I, I shared earlier that uh, John and I have convinced Tim that, that John used to take us to Kelsey's, but he just takes Tim to Culver's. But, uh, um, those have been sweet times of, um, of brotherhood and planning and sharing and celebration and praying mm -hmm. together and a real investment from Pastor John mm -hmm. into his chairman. And I, I didn't share this earlier, John, mm -hmm. but I've talked to Tim Spanberg about that too, and he very mm -hmm. much wants to continue mm -hmm. that tradition. Uh, so those, mm -hmm. that has been a wonderful time, and we just thank you for that. Mm -hmm. From me, I know I shared earlier, I have, uh, I have never once doubted Pastor John's love for the Lord or love for this place and his desire for us to become all that we can be mm -hmm. in every conversation mm -hmm. we've had, John. That just, that comes shining through. And so I, I thank you for that. Where, where I would feel bound by humanness, John releases me and just reminds me of all that God can do through the people at Liberty Bible Church Amen. in this place. So that has been such a blessing, John. Uh, thank you so much for that. 
interim pastor is an interesting thing um, because interim reminds us all that it is temporary. John knew it, the elders knew it, you all knew it, but you very much have been our pastor, John, and we thank you for that. So we all know everything that happens at this place is about one person, and his name is Jesus, but we are thankful for John, and so if we can just show John our appreciation one more time, I thank you. Could remain standing. I'm, I'm going to uh, ask John to give us his final benediction over us, but just remind you there is cake downstairs, so we're going to try to get John and Sandy downstairs as fast as possible, so please get down there and offer your own affirmation and thanks to John and Sandy. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Nick and John and Tim. I see Tim there, and uh, uh, these days have been uh, days of joy. They've been days of challenge. But I really believe that liberty's on the cusp for some of its greatest days. Uh, we've prayed like crazy that God would bring us the right pastor, and he did. And uh, as I've met with Pastor Tim and as uh, we've shared our hearts with one another, I believe that God has brought the right man at the right time to partner with our staff and our elders. And uh, everything that has happened here, it's all been because of Jesus. Uh, that's the one thing we want to get our eyes on, not on the human instrument. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the most important. And um, also, I'm so thankful that uh, Pastor Greg Carter uh, has been appointed to be our interim executive pastor. This is a huge answer to prayer because we had many things that needed to be transferred to Pastor Tim, and I didn't want to load him down with a lot of that. And so to have Greg in this interim role, he and I can spend time together, and it will free up Pastor Tim to focus on what we've called him to do, to preach and to teach and to provide vision uh, for the church in the coming days. I, uh, I'm thrilled with Greg. I've known Greg for a long time, and I can't think of a better uh, interim executive pastor. It will also allow Tim to do a thorough search uh, for a full-time executive pastor that is really, really needed. Uh, especially with a multi-site congregation. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I, I look with fondness upon every single one of you. God has something very special for Liberty Bible Church, and you guys are going to experience it. And we're just going to be shouting you on. We'll keep praying for you, and, and uh, I'll keep in touch with Tim. He'll give me the inside word on things. <laughs> And uh, we'll just trust him. Now, before I have the closing benediction, I forgot this last service. This is Communion Sunday, so don't forget as you leave uh, to leave uh, a gift for our benevolent ministry as well. Uh, that's so very, very important. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege of serving you and serving your church. What a blessing. What a joy. What an honor to be privileged to work together with those who love you and love this community. And Lord, I just pray your blessing upon Liberty Bible Church. Pray that you would use it in ways that are beyond anything that any of us can imagine. Help us not just to trust you for things that we can see, but help us to trust you for things that we don't see. 
that you want us to accomplish to change Northwest Indiana and to fulfill the vision that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for Pastor Tim. Bless him and Misty. Bring them here in the fullness of your blessing. Thank you for Pastor Greg and the privilege we have to work in this transition period with him. And thank you for the way in which you've raised him up to help shoulder this load. And Lord, as we look ahead to the future, oh God, may our eyes always be upon Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. And Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless all of you. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.